Father, I thank you for the revelatory dimension of ministry this morning. I thank you, God, for what you want to impart to your people. Thank you, Father, that you love your people so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. We open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm just so encouraged with what God is doing in this church and the different people coming through. And uh, it was prophesied by uh, Pastor Wimbai some time back in one of the prayer meetings where she said that we will have marriage conferences. And as a church, we will be known for having a lot of marriage counseling taking place. And people who've struggled in their marriages will be used by God to also counsel others. Some of you were there. I think it was a Tuesday prayer meeting, wasn't it? And she prophesied that, and we fully received it. And I'm going to be working closely with Martha, and we're going to be planning something for uh, a few months' time. Amen? A full-on marriage conference. Imagine that. And I also just want to acknowledge Martha, who organized this marriage retreat. She has to rush back for band, but Martha, if you had heard all the testimonies, that came through, I think you would have been so, so encouraged. I've put them on the couple's WhatsApp uh, thing, but the amazing things people were saying. It was so nice just to work with you. Um, she's, she's very organized, you know. So I could just say things in unstructured ways, and she just made them happen. So I'm so grateful for that. Thank you so much. Okay. So we're continuing to talk about personal revival. And this morning, I'm building on my message from a couple of weeks ago on understanding holiness, and we say that holiness is being set apart by God for God. Amen? Amen. Holiness is not the same as legalism. Legalism is when I try in my own righteousness to perform for God. But the Bible tells us that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Amen? But when we talk about being set apart, it's the word hagios in the Greek, set apart for God by God. We're talking about being his chosen treasure. And I want to go deeper into that. So the title of my message this morning is Set Apart for God. Set Apart for God. Please say to the person next to you, ask them as a question, have you been set apart by God for God? Some people are answering the question. They're saying yes. We'll see. Will you turn with me please to John chapter 21? I'm going to start off from verse 16. Verse 16 through to 18. John 21. I want to focus this morning of on I want to focus this morning on two great men of God in scripture. We're going to start off by talking about Peter a little bit and then we're going to talk about the apostle Paul. Is everyone there? All right. Jesus asked a second time. You know that Jesus is serious about something when he asks you a second time. Some of you are already on time number 11 being asked. Same question. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John. For those who don't know, Simon is Peter, right? Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he answered. You know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. 
How many of you know that your love for God will be seen in your love for his people? Your love for God will be demonstrated in your love for his people. And here we see that Peter was on a journey. And that's what I call stages of the calling. Peter was on a journey in his life where God, Jesus, initially called him and said, come, follow me. He dropped his nets. He was a fisherman. He dropped his nets and he began to follow Jesus. But we see now in John 21 where Jesus specifically asks him, do you love me? And if you truly love me, you will feed my sheep. In this day and age, there's this almost shaman approach. You know a shaman? You know those shamans? So-called holy men, right? New age holy men. If, if you can be that, it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Right? But you have these people who are shamans and they'll go up to mountains. They'll go up a mountain and they'll think that that's their source of holiness. They'll think that that's how they connect with God. But Jesus here is saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he answered, you know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. If you believe you are called by God, there will always be a connection between that calling and what you do for his sheep. There will always be a connection between that calling from God, that being set apart by God, and your relationship with his flock. Can I hear an amen? amen? Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was deeply hurt that Jesus had asked him a third time. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things, he replied. You know I love you, Jesus said to him. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly. Now remember we learned a couple of weeks ago that when Jesus repeats himself, when he says something not once, but twice or three times, he's reinforcing it. In the English language, when we want to emphasize something, we put it in bold, we put it in italics, we put an exclamation mark afterwards, right? But with the Hebrew people, what would they do? They would say it more than once. That's why Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say to you, right? Another way of saying that is, truly, truly, I say to you. And here he says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And if you continue reading there, it was speaking of the way in which Peter would, he would be, he would be killed, he would be persecuted, he would be martyred, right? And history tells us that he actually was um, killed, not on a, not on a, crucifi not crucified in a normal way, but it was an upside down cross. Because he said, I am not worthy enough to die in the same manner as my Lord and Savior. And that's how he died. That's what he said. And Jesus was speaking of that. But I find it interesting when you understand the stages of the call of God. Because one moment Jesus first says, Peter, come follow me. You and your brother, come follow me. Now he's saying, if you truly love me, you will feed my sheep. You will come to a place where you lay your life down for the church. You will lay your life down for my bride. You see, in this day and age, we've got lots of people who are trying to be spiritual apart from the church. 
They're trying to be spiritual and have a ministry outside of the local church. How many of you know that even if you have an itinerant ministry, even if you have a marketplace ministry, Jesus still says, if you love me, you need to feed my sheep. You need to have some form of relationship with the body of Christ. For some of you, it's primarily feeding the sheep. For some of you, it's primarily giving to the sheep. For some of you, it's counseling the sheep. There are stages of the call of God. And for many of us, we're in a place in our lives, a place in our walk with the Lord where he has called us and we've heard that calling. But now he's speaking to you a second time. He's speaking to you a third time. And he's saying, if you really love me, Lysias, this is what you're going to do. There's a link between your love for me and what you're going to do for my flock. If you love me, Patrick, this is what I want you to do for my flock. If you love me, Sean Roberts, this is what I want you to do for my flock. If you really love me, Sean Anderson, this is what I want you to do for my flock. What stage are you at in the call of God on your life? Because he was called from being a fisherman and he begins to follow Jesus saying, hey, we've left all sorts of things. We've left our businesses for you, Lord Jesus. And some of you have done that. Some of you have done that. But the next stage is, what are you going to do for my sheep? And in the next stage after that, it's interesting. Jesus then describes, he says, when you were young, you dressed yourself. But when you are old, you're going to go somewhere where you don't want to go. This is how you're going to die. Those are stages of the call of God. I don't know about you, but I want to come to a place in my life where my life is not so important that I begin to debate with God when he calls me deeper into the call of God. Amen. Amen. I don't want to argue with him. And if you look throughout scripture and you study the call of God on different men and women of God's lives, you'll see that they'll often debate at the start. The Lord calls our friend Gideon and he says, rise up mighty warrior. And he says, no, but how can I be a mighty warrior? I'm the least in my family. And usually in scripture, when he's talking about the least, he's not talking about the most insignificant. He's just saying, I'm the youngest. I'm the last born. How can I do this? And God says, no, you are a mighty warrior. You can rise up and you can do it. Same as Jeremiah. He says, I've anointed and I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Go. And what does Jeremiah say? I'm, I'm but a youth. What's your excuse today? Because God wants to take us deeper into the call of God in our lives. That's what being set apart is all about. I'm set apart for something. What's your excuse today? Jeremiah's excuse was his age. I don't know about you, but there were times when I was told I was too young to do certain things. Now I'm being told I'm too old to do certain things. When was I ever the right age? What's the right age? Yes, yes. How many of you right now are being told you're too old for certain things? Raise your hand. <laughs> John already. We told you too old. <laughs> Jordan, too old for certain things now. Okay? How many of you have been told you're too young? How many of you know that God doesn't call the qualified? He qualifies the called. Yeah. If you've been called by him, yeah. if you've been set apart by him, that's your qualification. Yes. And it's important that you hear from heaven. I don't know about you, but I know that he's called me. And you have to know like you know, like you know in your Noah that he's called you. 
Because persecution will come. Resistance will come. How many of you know that Jeremiah was resisted? Stephen was resisted. He ended up being martyred, but the scripture still tells us that they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I believe God is taking us to a place in our walk with him where we receive the call of God. And I'm going to show you right now, when you're set apart by God, it releases angelic assistance. When you're set apart by God, God's legions, you know, the Bible calls, calls him the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts. That word hosts, whenever you see it, the Lord of hosts, it literally means the Lord over the army of angels. And you will notice in scripture that when people are set apart on assignment for God, guess what? He, in, he unleashes his resources to assist you in that assignment. I want to make sure I do what he's called me to do because that's where the grace is. I want to make sure I do what he's called me to do because that's where the angels are. That's where the anointing is. The anointing is always for a purpose. The anointing is always for a purpose. Some people say, I'm anointed. I'm anointed. They've got an anointed walk, an anointed talk. No, you're anointed to do. The anointing is God, the power of God working in and through you to do certain things. And that's what we have to tap into. You know? Um, Pastor Polani over there, he's a sports person and we were playing volleyball yesterday afternoon and at a certain point, uh, his team had been winning a couple of times, I think because it was the same team that my wife was in, but anyway it had been winning a couple of times and you know, it had a lot of fiery red personalities who didn't care my, my wife's pastoral grace just left I remember just doing those fiery red serves, you know, blasting one of the sisters there but, but the point I'm making is at a certain point, Pastor, Col- Pastor Kolani moved away from the game because he had finished and he was now sitting out and we are saying, no, that team needs you. Go back, go back. And he says, no, my sports anointing will rub off on them. My sports anointing. So let me just say something. So the anointing is for doing. What has God anointed you to do? Very, very important. Okay? What stage are you at? You see, for Peter... When you're trying to figure out his calling, you see that the commission was influenced by the prayers of others and his own time set apart. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you that. You see, when you're trying to understand your assignment, it's important to understand that the commissioning, I'm not talking about the call. The call is there. He's called you. But the timing and the commissioning is often influenced by other people's prayers. Do you remember Paul the Apostle? What did he say? He says, we had a vision of a man from... Macedonia a man from Macedonia saying come come we need your help and on that basis it influenced the commission does that make sense there are people right now praying that you may come to them and in that atmosphere of prayer and in the atmosphere where you are also in prayer and you're sensitive enough to hear what heaven is saying to hear what God is saying there's been a connection and something happens amen when we came through to Centurion from Johannesburg Right? We call it, I think it was actually when we were originally in Zimbabwe, I think it was when we were in Zimbabwe, we had a strong sense that there was a Macedonian call to come to South Africa. That there were people here in this nation who were calling us saying, we need you, we've been praying for this, we've been praying for this. So by the time we arrived in 2005, guess what? It was as if the harvest had already been prepared. Amen? Where's your harvest right now? You want to go there? Where's your harvest right now? Where's your Macedonian call right now? Where are there people right now who've been saying, God sent someone who can bring your revival to this place? Mm. I believe there have been people praying in Pretoria East 
for someone like Pastor Michael and Pastor Fancy to come there. Amen. And when they arrive, they will hit the ground running and revival is going to break out. Why? Activating these things. Now watch this. Watch this. This is, this is very powerful. And we see this in Peter's heart and mind. You see, Peter had a limited view of his calling. And at a certain point, God had to stretch him and expand his view. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1. I'm going to read right through to verse 22. Are you ready? Yes. We're talking about the stages of the call of God in your life. Some of you have stopped at stage 2. Some of you are at that stage where you're still having debates with the Lord Jesus saying, Lord, do I really want to feed your sheep? Hey, your sheep. <laughs> I don't know if these are sheep, Lord Jesus. <laughs> okay, I see what you mean, Lord, where you said you've come for the sick. Because, hey, these sheep you're talking about are really sick. <laughs> I, it's like most of them are in ICU. Lord, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Some of you are still at that stage. But Peter moved past that stage. And we see by Acts chapter 10, something interesting taking place. Are you ready? Yeah. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Please note, they weren't yet born again. There are a lot of people today who are very religious, but they're not born again. There are a lot of people living here in Pretoria who are very religious, but they're not yet born again. And sometimes because they're very God-fearing, you can be devout God-fearing but not born again. Because they're very God-fearing and they'll say, yes, yes, no, 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 whatever they call you. And they'll be very, you know, the sense of respect, the sense of, you know, often my wife said, yeah, that guy, you know, he was very, yeah, that Afrikaans type of politeness, you know, that he was very well-mannered. But the guy is still going to hell. He's not a bad person but doesn't have Jesus. And Cornelius was in that situation where he was devout, he would pray, he would give, but he wasn't yet born again. Just want to clarify that. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. You know those people you say, are you born again? And they say, I pray every day. Doesn't mean you're born again. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. We need to pray that unsaved people start getting visions. He had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. There's a whole teaching on that. You can do warfare with your giving. Giving is an act of war. The Bible says when you tithe, he rebukes the devourer. There are things that are out to get your finances. When you give, the giving rebukes. There's some of you who aren't givers. But when it comes to warfare, you think it's just a verbal thing. So you're there praying, rebuking the devourer. And God is saying, no, just start giving. The giving will rebuke. Just saying. Just saying. All right? So watch this. It, very, very powerful. Because 
It says, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Let me ask a question. Why didn't the angel just finish the job? Why didn't the angel just start ministering and going into detail and so on and say, here's salvation. Oh, do you want to be baptized in the spirit? Okay, we can work out something and so on. No, because God needs us. God has chosen to work through people. Now, it's interesting. The angel answered, okay. When the angels who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now it's interesting because Cornelius had been praying. Now look what happens on Peter's side. Many of you are saying, I want to know God's call for my life. But are you doing what Peter was doing? Watch this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Peter might have missed this if he wasn't in prayer. He might have missed this. So many people are trying to figure out the call of God on their lives, but I'm asking the question, have you set yourself apart to seek God's face concerning the call of God on your life? Because sometimes it's only when you are pursuing Him with no distractions that you find Him. That you find Him. Now watch this. Peter went up on the roof to pray. Why did he go on the roof? He needed to be secluded. Amen? He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. We're talking about stages of the calling. Peter had been obedient up until this point, right? And now he's saying, surely not, Lord. How many of you know that for us to embrace the call of God on our lives, we have to unlearn certain things? Could it be that God wants to expand your ministry right now in this season? Could it be that God wants to enlarge your influence right now in this season? And you're saying, surely not, Lord, because of something you've been taught by religious people in the past. Could it be that God is saying, go to that township next door and establish a church, but because you've got kids in private schools and you drive a fancy car and you live in a nice suburb, you're saying, surely not, Lord. Surely it must be someone else. Could it be that God is calling you to one of these local communities where people are living in shacks, but you don't understand their language and God has given you an assignment to go there, but because you're not good at that local vernacular... You're saying, surely not, Lord, because you've been taught things in a particular way by religious people. What is stopping you from going to your next level in your stages of the call of God? Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. When was the last time you did something for the first time? With where God is taking us, he's going to be calling us to do certain things for the first time. The voice spoke to him a second time. Isn't it sad that Jesus has to keep speaking more than once? 
I wonder how many times he's spoken to some of us. Maybe on the 52nd time now. And it's almost time up. He's about to move on to the next person. He's like, I don't want to force this person. Nah? Let me go to the next person. Okay? Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Are there certain people groups that you've got an issue with? Maybe you've got prejudice in your heart towards certain people. There's a lot of division in this nation. And you say, surely not me, Lord. Maybe you're called to go to some of these high schools in these posh suburbs. And you're saying, surely not me, Lord. They will reject me. They will not accept me. And God says, do not call anything unclean that I'm calling clean. Do not distance yourself from people who I love. Do not write off certain people groups, certain ethnic groups, certain language groups that I have accepted. Are you rejecting people that God has accepted? If you are, it limits you in the different stages of the call of God in your life. Some of you are called to the marketplace, but you've got a religious spirit about you. Well, you think, no, 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 those guys make too much money in that organization, so therefore I can't minister to them. Because I'm holy. <laughs> Jesus hang, hang out, hung out with people like Matthew, who had been a, t- a tax collector. Went and hang out with him at his house. Are there certain people that you hate because they're rich? I know people like that. They hate rich people. You hear, they all come up to you and say, ah, those guys, oh. I, I, I've got someone I know who lives in one of these estates, like who lives in the one further down, not the one right here, the one further, further down. It's very expensive to live in. And I remember a thing, he's a Christian guy, and a lot of times when we would speak, he would just keep talking about, that CEO, yeah, he lives like next door to us, and that other one lives there. Yeah, those guys, they must just give their money to the church, man. <laughs> and I started wondering, like, why do you keep reacting to these guys? What have they done to you? <laughs> Amen? So this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out. Thanks so much, Michael. So these guys pitch up. And they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision. Isn't God gracious? While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. How many feel that God doesn't like it when we hesitate? Some of you are like, I know it's fine. At least I obeyed third time round. But his instruction is don't hesitate. His instruction is don't delay obedience. With children, what do we teach them? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Yeah. Peter went down. He was obedient. 
Once he got the message clearly, he was obedient. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a, he's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel, interesting, a holy angel. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could hear what he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. What I find interesting is he didn't have to invite them in. But he was fully embracing the call of God that he let these guys in. Guys, think about it. Here's Peter. He's never eaten anything unclean. And within moments he's inviting these Gentiles, a Roman soldier, into his house as a guest. That was unheard of. I want to ask you a question. When God has called you to a group of people, to what extent are you willing to embrace them? To what extent have you fully embraced the call of God on your life? Is it something where you've received the prophetic word and then you dance around the prophetic word for years and years but don't, don't fully embrace the calling? Have you let the calling in as a guest into your house? Some of you in this room, maybe you've been obedient 60%. And you're very impressed with yourself. But God is saying, do not hesitate. Yeah. Let them into your house as guests. Yeah. Peter went the extra mile. He said, if this is God doing it, and if God has sent these people, I'm not going to say to them, just park off outside and wait for me. I'm coming. And then I keep my distance. Peter said, I'm going to go full out and say, come in as guests. Because you've been sent by God. Amen. To what extent have you embraced the people that God has called into your life? Because of the purposes of God. You see, Peter couldn't have accomplished this thing with Cornelius that was taking him to his next level in the call of God. He could not have done it without this entourage, that entourage that had come to see him. He couldn't have. Right now, you're meeting people. And if you're sensitive to the spirit and the voice of the spirit right now, you're meeting people who are the equivalent of this entourage. You're meeting people who are taking you to your next level in your destiny. My question is, have you invited those people in as guests? Right. Let's look at Paul the Apostle. Obviously, I'm biased here, but we have to look at Paul. <laughs> Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to 17. Do you like reading the Bible? Yeah. Meanwhile, Saul, he was formerly known as Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women. How many of you know that the enemy wants to wipe you out? That's his only agenda. He wants to wipe you out. Amen? And he's ruthless about it. doesn't care whether you're male or female. doesn't care whether you've got kids or not. He wants to wipe us out. Whether men or women... He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. There are certain things that can happen in our lives suddenly. 
Some of you have come here today as backslidden Christians, but the suddenly of God is going to hit you in a moment. Some of you have come in a backslidden state. Some of you have come in a place where you need to recommit your heart to the Lord Jesus. Some of you might have come unsaved, not yet born again, but they're the suddenlies of God. And do you see that God loves everyone? And despite what this guy had been doing, persecuting Christians, God didn't write him off. Some of you have written certain people off, but God doesn't write people off. Amen? He doesn't write people off. Some of you are here right now and you think God can't use you because of all the stuff you did. I'm telling you that's a lie from the pit of hell. God wants to use you in a powerful way. There's no sin too big for him to forgive. He wants to forgive you, but you have to allow him to do that work in your heart. Some of you, you believe that he loves you enough to get you saved. And so you are parking. You're a parking Christian. You're just in the parking bay. Oh, I got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. Saved from fire. (laughs) So you are there. Just parking. But you've got a misbelief in your mind that I am not worthy enough to be used by God. Can you see the difference? I'm worthy enough. Yes, I yeah, God is loving enough for me not to go to hell, so I'm saved. But use me. Me. Uh-uh. And you're robbing people because you're parking. That's for someone here right now. You're robbing people because you're just parking there. And God wants to take you to your next level. Now, this is very interesting when you go deeper into this. Because it says, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, if you read further down, and we'll get there in a moment, I find it very interesting because he describes the people of God as God's holy people. Who Paul had been persecuting. And it's interesting that Jesus associates himself with his holy people. He associates himself with those who have been set apart by him for him. And he personalizes this thing. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? No, why are you persecuting me? You see, when you're set apart by God, for God, he identifies with you in a very powerful way. And when people mess around with you, he takes it personally. When people mess you around, he takes it personally. And very often they're not, they're not spiritually sensitive enough to hear directly from God. But at a certain point, the conviction kicks in. Because he visits them and says, dude, what are you doing? Let go of my people. Let go of my tumi, boy tumelo. Let go of my... <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> Yes. I know the full names. He said, let go of my master Celia. Let go of her. She's mine. You're you're persecuting me when you're persecuting her. Isn't that powerful? God identifies with you and with me. And so he says, why do you persecute me? He wants to establish the facts first. (laughs) It's like Jesus knew about D4 feedback and all those feedback processes. <laughs> Why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? I just, uh, I'm suspending judgment, you know, like what? Jokes. Okay, verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
Isn't it interesting that with Cornelius, when the angel spoke, Cornelius just said, yes, Lord, what do you want? And here, Saul, who was very lost at this time, says, who are you, Lord? It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because he's calling him Lord, but he's saying, who are you? <laughs> who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Do you know the boldness you end up having when you go into an organization and you know that you're clothed with one Christ Jesus because you're set apart for him and by him. And when people mess around with you, they have to know who they're messing with. Jesus. Because you are going on his assignment. Now please note, Jesus would not always say this if you're not on his assignment. Let's understand this. He doesn't say this concerning every Christian. Some people think, because I'm born again, it's my covenant, right? When you mess with, with me, you're messing with Jesus. Ah, uh-uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Because later on, it's to, he, he describes them as God's holy people. God's people who are on assignment, who've been set apart. Apostolic assignment. On a mission. With an agenda, a God agenda. And he says something so powerful here. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Jesus was very action orientated. Can you see that? Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Let's focus on what you need to start doing. And some of you are in that space where you're trying to analyze. Why did I do those bad things in my life before I knew Christ? Why was I persecuting Christians? My brother, my older brother David, shared with me something quite funny when he visited recently, a few months ago. And uh, when, I, when I went to high school, he was already there. It was always nice having a big brother there. And he, he's a radical Christian now and so on. And he actually apologized. He said, I just want to say I'm sorry. Do you remember those days, bro, when you like, were very radical and so on? And I was saying, like, hey, you know, like, it's fine like, being radical as a Christian, but just, you know, don't, you don't have to tell everyone else. You just chill. Just, you know, just keep it, keep it on the down low. And he says, bro, like, that was dangerous of me saying that. Like, what if you had taken my advice? <laughs> Sometimes we get so caught up with what we've done in the past. We get so caught up by mistakes we've made in the past. But look how Jesus was so quick about it. He didn't say, so tell me, what was the type of persecution? What was the motivation behind the persecution? Hmm, and how could you persecute women too? I mean, look, I can understand with the dudes. Some of them, you know, like, I also have issues with them. But dude, the women, how could you do that? No, he just goes straight here and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. And then he just says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I believe that's a message for some of you right now because you're over analytical about the call of God on your lives. And Jesus is just saying, dude, just get up, go to the city and receive the instruction. Amen. Just go to Randburg and do what I've told you to do. Get on with it. Just go to Pretoria East. Let's fast track everything and just do it. <laughs> Could go around and say similar things for some people, but it might be a bit dangerous. <laughs> there, might, there might be some go to China's. <laughs> Number seven, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. 
There'll be people who are moving around with you, old friends, Sipo, old friends, who are moving around with you, who might be just there speechless. Huh? What happened? Confused, Malebo. Confused. Because you've gone to your next stage of calling. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. They will not hear things as clearly as you are hearing them. And sometimes they will try to counsel you based on what they're hearing or not hearing. They say, I know, but we couldn't really hear anything. We didn't see anything. Dude, are you sure you're okay? Can we take you to the hospital? I know a good shrink who can maybe help you out. But they didn't hear what you've heard. Come on now. I remember hearing very clearly, one of the few times I've had that internal audible voice, I remember hearing very, very clearly when God says, I'm opening doors, this was in about 2008, I'm opening doors of teaching for you and Tracy. You will plant a church and your primary sphere will be Africa. That's what I heard, clear as a bell. There's no like confusing that, it was clear. It was like I had a Walkman. Do you guys know what Walkmans are? <laughs> I had earphones in me. And an iPod. Who knows people use iPods? Okay, anyway. I, had, I heard the voice. Even the name of this church. People say, so how did you come up with the name Go? Well, one of the few times I had that internal audible voice. I was praying, praying, praying. It was back in 2008. What will the ministry be called? And I literally heard the voice say, Go. Now, you might have just been saying, don't worry about the name, just go. <laughs> logic at times. I'm asking him a question. What's the name of the ministry? And he says, go. So that's why it's called go. And I checked with my wife and she agreed with me and then that just sealed it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is interesting because he says, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7. The men traveling with, with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. How many of you know that sometimes before God raises you up for the call of God, you need to be brought down low? You need to be brought down low. And some of you are trying to hear the call of God for your lives, but you haven't allowed him to, to drop you to the ground. And for some of you, when you then get up, you're criticizing God and you're angry with God saying, why did you drop me? But Saul here got up from the ground. Some of you haven't yet gotten up from the ground. You're still there feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, that light, mm, that bright light. Mm, now I'm down here. Please call an ambulance. <laughs> Seriously, you've got Christians like that. But, but Saul got up from the ground. Who's, who's chilling on the ground right now? Got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. You know that sometimes God will spiritually blindfold you. Sometimes in the natural you won't be able to see so that you can hear and see in the spirit. Sometimes if you're looking in the natural at your circumstances so much and you're dwelling on them and you're worrying so much, there's no room to hear from heaven. I mean, there are times when we literally have to shut everything out like we learned last week so that we can hear clearly from heaven. Why is it that often God speaks to people when they're traveling? When they're outside their usual environment? Because of the noise in our environment. The noise in our environment. And I find it interesting that God spoke to Peter while he was still pondering on the vision. Some of you don't take time to ponder on the vision. 
She's like, oh, that was a nice vision. Pastor, I had a vision. What do you think it means? Before you've even thought through it yourself. I find it very interesting because he got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. See, sometimes when God has called you, you have to come to a place of weakness, a place of brokenness, and others have to lead you. Some of you have come to this church and you were strong in your own strength, but God dropped you down onto the ground and now you can't see and you say, Pastor, hold my hand. Pastor, hold my hand. Guys, hold my hand. But your breakthrough is just around the corner. But for a while you have to be dependent on others. For a while you have to be weak because the strength is made perfect in weakness. Some of you don't like being weak. Some of you are not comfortable in weakness. Seriously, that's the barrier for a lot of people. They can't get themselves to a space or a place where they're just weak for a while. I'm speaking to some people right now. Some of you struggle with weakness. The Bible tells us that a broken and contrite heart, he won't deny. Some of you struggle being in a place of weakness, even if it's just for three weeks. Just to be weak. Just to say, I need your help. Some of the people having breakthroughs in their marriage today is because they had the humility to actually say, we need help. And now when I ask them, I say, when we started the process, where were you in your marriage? They say, four out of ten. Where are you now? I'm hearing people say, eight or nine. In just a matter of a month. But it only happened because they allowed themselves to be weak. Now what's interesting here is it goes on and... It says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. You see, when you're consumed by your own appetites, you don't hear from heaven. It says he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. But that was key to his breakthrough. Now watch what's happening. Do you remember what happened with Peter and the Cornelius connection? Now what ha- look what happens here. Paul is blind for three days and is not eating or drinking anything. But, then, but he's actually praying. You'll see later on he was praying. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. How many Ananiases do we have here? It didn't say he was a prophet. It didn't say he was the leader of the church in Damascus. He was just a disciple. How many disciples do we have here? How many of you know that God could use you right now to be the one who's instrumental in a future apostle? Getting his assignment. Because it says here, this Damascus, in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias, it says, the Lord called to him in a what? In a vision. Do you think that he was just busy going about his business and he suddenly had a vision? No, he was probably a person of prayer who was seeking God. And in that moment, God could speak to him. Just like God spoke to Peter when Peter was on the roof. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying there's a revelation already there he says ask for a man from Tarsus called Saul what does it say for he is for he is could you be delaying your commission because you're not praying I, I don't know guys English was the second language that I learned but when I read my bible here I'm seeing something interesting. It shows me that the reason he had to do this, this Ananias, it says that 
you can now go to Saul because he's praying. When I read in the Bible, it says, for he is praying. Because he is praying. Amen? And I find it interesting because whether it's talking about he's now praying, he's no longer persecuting people, the fact of the matter is prayer featured there. Could it be that the Ananias in your life has not yet connected with you because you're not in prayer? Could it be that God is really wanting to take you to the next stage of your call, but you're not seeking his face? Can you see that in the atmosphere of prayer, in the atmosphere of worship, in the atmosphere of being set apart by God and for God, that's when the breakthrough comes for your assignment? Someone is getting it. Now watch this. Go to his house, go to this house, and ask for this person. It says, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias is getting a vision. Saul has already received a vision. These guys are in prayer. Assignments are birthed in an atmosphere of prayer and being set apart by God and for God. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports. We've heard many reports about all sorts of things, but it hasn't changed God. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. The Lord said to Paul Nyamuda, go. The Lord is saying to Tracy Nyamuda, go. The Lord is saying to uh, Eugene Dipena, go. The Lord is saying to Mbai Chariga, go. The Lord is saying to um, uh, Kolani uh, Voma, go. The Lord is saying to Raymond Kasinganeti, Lindy Kasinganeti, go. Yes, you've heard the reports, but go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God had chosen Paul. But he needed to work through an Ananias to accelerate that particular thing. Yes, yes, God. Some of you have been chosen, yes, I agree. But you are delaying the commissioning because you haven't connected with your Ananias. And you haven't connected with your Ananias because you're not seeking God's face right now. You're not seeking his face. You're not setting yourself apart to actually hear from heaven what that assignment is. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It's almost like that was the key for Ananias. Okay, at least the guy will still suffer. Okay, let me go now. (laughs) (laughs) Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't hear the instruction about the Holy Spirit, but somewhere along the line, maybe there was more detail that Ananias was given. And this was a standard thing. Amen? <laughs> okay. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. We will pray at the end of this message that scales fall off from your eyes that you may see again. That you may see again. Amen. 
I find this interesting because it says immediately something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What are the principles we see here? When you associate with God, God's holy people, your persecution is Jesus's persecution. That's a principle. Next principle we saw was that Jesus was action orientated. Next principle we saw was that Paul was blind for three days. A key to your commission is to block out other voices. A key to your commission is to unlearn your default patterns so that you can learn the pattern and the process of God. Number five, we see a lot of angelic activity. So angels seem to be attracted to prophetic commissioning when someone is set apart. Number six, we see that God needs us. Why did he have to work through Ananias? And number seven, it's interesting if you look at verse 31, it says they continued living in the fear of the Lord. God is looking for someone who can shake the destiny of the world. He's waiting for people who are set apart by him and for him, who can literally shape the destiny of nations. He's looking for those people. Can he trust you for this? I want us to go to the last passage that I want to look at because there are certain things that delay the commission. And we want to see the commissioning for Paul the Apostle. He was called by God, yes, but now he also needs to be commissioned. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12, verse 21. Are you enjoying this? Good. Those of you with low attention span, we pray that it will be increased right now for the next couple of minutes of this message. Amen. Acts chapter 12, verse 21. And we're going to continue to Acts chapter 13, verse 12. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God. Now ask a question. Did Herod do anything wrong? He was just speaking from what I can see here. Who was doing the shouting? Who was saying this is the voice of a God and not man? It was the people. So who needs to experience the consequences? Who needs the punishment? Surely it's the people. I'm just trying to be logical. They're the ones calling him God, not him. But isn't it interesting what happens here? Because it says that they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, this is New Testament. Last time I checked, Acts chapter 12 is after the resurrection of Jesus. Last time I checked, Acts chapter 12 is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And some people think, like, no, it doesn't happen. This is New Covenant Christianity. There's abundance of grace, so this kind of thing can definitely not happen. So explain to me why things happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Why were they struck down? Yeah. Christians. And look what happens with Herod. And I find this very interesting because a matter is established by two or three witnesses. You can't say it's one obscure verse, Paul, because there are two places we see in the New Testament and there are arguably others where these guys were struck down. You know that there's judgment that takes place not just in the end of the age, but even now. And we're not aware of it. You see, very often when things happen to certain people, we assume, we make assumptions. Now, bad things happen to good people. 
So please don't go out and start thinking, the reason this happened to this person is because of this. The reason is that. I'm not saying that. But we see an interesting thing taking place where it says, people said, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 34 verse 14, I am the Lord and my name is Jealous. I am the Lord and my name is Jealous. And I've mentioned to you that if you're a perfect being, then jealousy is okay. Because you want something true and for your, you want it for yourself. Because you know that that's what's best for that particular thing. I mean that God is jealous over his glory. God is jealous over his praise. And it's our responsibility when people praise us. We can say thank you for the kind words, but we give God all the honor and all the glory. Amen? Yes. And may we repent for where we take the glory that's not due to us. Yes, God. May we repent for where we take the glory that's due to Him. Could it be true that churches right now, the glory has departed from them because some pastors are being like Herod? Oh, and by God's grace, by God's grace and for the sake of the people, it still continues. But there are many places today where the glory has departed, the Bible calls this ikabud. The kabod, the glory of God, the weight of his glory has left. Because people are now glorifying themselves and not God. You know what's scary for me? One of the patterns I've seen if you look at the history of musicians in the last century or so, I find it very strange how sometimes the greatest pop idols seem to just get cut off just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it strange. I'm not judging anyone. Yeah. But don't you find it strange? Why do these guys seem to get cut off? And very often it's by similar things. Yeah. Why do they all overdose? Yeah. I find it very strange. Wouldn't it have been nice to have an old Elvis Presley now coming doing shows and things like that? Wouldn't it have been nice? I sometimes think about it. To have a Michael Jackson coming and doing his things, you know, still doing his moonwalk at 70 and so on. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> Father, may you forgive us for where we give glory to man. May you forgive us where we make idols of man. May you forgive us. Look at all the, how many of the Beatles are still around. There's Paul McCartney, Michael McCartney, who else is still around? What happened to John Lennon and the other guys? You know that with the Beatles, people would say, yeah, no, these guys are more popular than Jesus. Remember, as the, as the Beatles were rising up, it was also the rise of the Jesus movement. I know these guys are more popular than Jesus. God, may we give you all the praise and all the glory. God, may we may you forgive us as a nation where we've made idols of people. God, may your mercy be upon all these idols around, all these people, these um, pop idols that people seem to worship, Lord. May they learn to give you all the glory and all the honor. I find it really amazing because it says that immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. How do they know that? They had revelation. It's so important that when something happens to people, leaders of nations, when things happen to them, that we pray and we say, God, what is going on here? What is happening? There are times when God will say, no, no, it, it, it was the person's time. But there are other times where God will give you an answer, where God will reveal certain things to you. And we learn from that. 
Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. So he was struck down first. Before he died, he was eaten by worms. Just look at the order. Didn't say he died and then he was eaten by worms. But the word of God, hallelujah, continued to spread and flourish. Now watch this. When you're in an atmosphere of God raising you up and you being commissioned, there's a lot of angelic activity taking place. And we see this when Paul and Barnabas were released and commissioned. It says in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they already had missions. Some of you have already been on mission, but you're going to the next stage of your calling. And look at it. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger. That means black. So he was probably of the darker complexion. Lucius of Cyrene. These guys were a mixture of people. It was a a cross-cultural situation. And they were worshipping God together. Isn't that beautiful? While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. Again, in an atmosphere of being set apart by God, in an atmosphere of worship, it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I find it so interesting because the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me. You know that you're always set apart for someone. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. My question to you this morning is, for whom have you been set apart? Some people are set apart for liquor. Some people are set apart for gambling. Some people have been set apart for the spirit of mammon, but they call it, I'm a Christian business person, but they're controlled by the greed associated with the demonic entity called mammon that controls materialism. For whom have you been set apart? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. How many of you know that when people drink too much, when people have got a problem with alcohol, let me just say this, They end up tipsy and they're not quite sure at what point am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what point am I now open to other stuff. When people are bound, addicted to drugs, they open themselves up to to the demonic realm. How can you be set apart for God when you're under the influence of something else? Don't tell me that when you're there, like, oh, all tipsy and stuff, you're also sensitive to, oh, Holy Spirit, yes, oh, I'm sensing this, I'm sensing that. How do you know? Right. Set apart. This is the Holy Spirit. Bible says, don't get drunk with wine. I'm speaking yeah. to someone right now. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right. Set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work. You are set apart for the Holy Spirit, but you're also set apart for his work. You're not just set apart so you look spiritual on Sunday. 
You don't just set apart so that you are there on some holy mountain and you come down and you say to your family, <laughs> Your wife tries to give you a hug from everything that she learned from the couple's retreat. <laughs> Seriously, no, I knew a pastor like that. He would say at a certain stage we felt we were just too holy. But when they were still single, too holy for any lady to get hooked up to us. <laughs> You're set apart for a work. You're set apart for a work. The key question is, what is my work? That word work is assignment. What is my assignment? Whether you're in government, whether you're in sport, whether you are in teaching, whether you're in education, whether you're in health, what is my work? The Bible tells us very clearly that when the temple was being built, God says, I've anointed Bezalel and Ohiliab. I've anointed them with the ability to do crafts. These guys were artists. These guys were good with their hands. They were craftsmen. And God anointed them for that. Isn't that powerful? There's an anointing for the arts. I'm speaking to someone right now. There's an anointing. Those of you who are into design work, sewing and that kind of thing, there's a grace for that. And God can supernaturally set you apart for your work. What's your work? And let me tell you something, you don't have to spend years trying to figure it out. When you look at all these situations, it was very clear. They were seeking God's face and they knew what the work was. When people spend three years trying to figure out and they keep saying, I don't know what exactly my calling is because I'm not too sure. No, it's because you're resisting what he's already said to you. That's why. You're analyzing it because you're resisting. God is not playing hide and seek with you. He's told you. You're analyzing things. That's your form of? Resistance. Remember there are stages of resistance, eh? When you give someone feedback, initially with some people they get, they're in denial. There's a long river up north of Africa called denial. Right? Ah, no, ah, me, ah, no, 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 yeah, but at least we don't have that problem, okay. Or sometimes you see it in marriages with couples, they come to you and say, yeah, I think we need counseling. And then no sooner as they say that, they start saying, no, but it's actually not that bad, I don't think we have crisis, but I think we just need to... So you admit the truth, and then you talk your way out of it. So it starts off with denial. Then sometimes it goes into anger, isn't it? Yeah. Why is God calling me to do all these things? Doesn't he know I've got children? <laughs> Doesn't he know I'm busy and I have to provide for my family? Why is he calling me to do all these things? Okay, there's <laughs> denial, then there's anger, isn't there? Yeah. And then sometimes there's rationalization. Okay, okay, I think he's okay to call me to do this, but, you know, I don't think I can go too deep into it, God. Not too deep, huh? You know, we don't want to put people off. And you don't go deep. You don't let those guests in to your house. And then we move to a stage where with some people, they then, they rationalize it, don't they? In that way. They rationalize it, and they don't go deep. And then with other people, they receive it. And they say, God, you're right. God, yes, I cannot argue with you. You've called me to this. But they don't do anything about it. Have you ever had it when you give someone feedback where they agree with you a thousand percent, but there's no implementation? Yes, pastor, I never listen to my wife. I've got a problem. I talk too much. I talk over her, on top of her. I just talk and talk and talk. And I don't listen. Hey, I'm listening. Ah, my listening skills need to improve. Oh, ah, yeah, I agree. Mm, pastor, yes, yes, yes. Nothing ever changes. And then there's the implementation. 
When the implementation happens, that's when you know you've really received the feedback. So now in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul encourages them and he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, as a prisoner for Christ's sake, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. I find it so interesting that it doesn't say to live a life worthy of the calling. It says to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. My question to you is, have you received the calling? Have you fully received it and embraced it? Don't con yourself. I didn't say, have you agreed with the calling? Have you received it? Two different things. And I want to close with this and show you what happens. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, we spoke about that. It says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. Then look, it says, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salami, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them. That's John Mark as their helper. There's certain principles that you see here. Do you remember we saw that Herod was struck dead? Right? And in sandwiched here, we have the commissioning of Saul and Barnabas. But look what it says here in verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, Paulus, all these Pauls all around. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from his, from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled by the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery will you never stop perverting the right ways of the lord we're in new testament aren't we last time i checked the book of acts is new testament right look at verse 11 now the hand of the lord is against you there's certain people today in south africa where the hand of the lord is against them you are going to be You're going to be blind. What happened to Paul? What happened to him? So he had a revelation of this. He had a revelation of the fruit of being blind for a while. And now he's basically saying, this is his first thing after being commissioned. He's now saying, dude, that which happened to me, that anointing of blindness, he's saying, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. He groped about, seeking someone to to lead him by the hand. I think that guy ended up getting saved. Same process that Paul went through. I think this guy probably went through it also. The fear of the Lord would have come upon him, I'm sure. And verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed and he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Let's pray. I want to encourage you this morning.
that when God says, set apart for me, you are always being in the state of being set apart. The key question is, for whom and by whom? It's always for someone or something. We are set apart for a work. It's not just about being. You're set apart for a work. The calling and the commission is sacred. It happened in the context of worship and fasting. This means other voices were shut out. I'm sure you can see the parallel between Peter's commissioning to the Gentiles and Paul's commissioning here at Antioch. When you're set apart in this manner, they will not be able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which you speak. And there will be consequences to people not listening to you. Just like what happened to this bad Jesus guy.